Come round for a cuppa, Liz. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Come uh, to the listeners because they can't see this. Brace just stood like sat up straight in posture that I don't. I didn't even know you were capable of. Mm. Held up a pantomime teacup, took a sip, paused, and then said, "What did you say?" Have a cuppa. That's a thing. Mm, no, it's a thing. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> Wait. Now, no, it it's a thing. You're wrong, Liz. It is a th- now and now dis- despite despite the way I talk and my lifestyle and the things that I represent, now you look like the big fool up do they say things like that? No, it's Australian now. No, no. First of all, that's the, that is literally part of the UK. <laughs> It is part of the United Kingdom. If it's not part of the UK, then how come the Queen's in charge? Mm. Huh? You think about that? Which technically would make this podcast part of the UK because the Queen's in charge here too. That's right. Not you. Hello, Brace. Lights, camera, true and on. No. That's how we're opening every episode from now. I don't have to do more of my fucking, I'm not a goddamn baboon doing impression. Yeah, you're a little monkey. You're you're the little monkey man. I don't, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll take that. Yeah, I'm grinding. I'm certainly grinding in Oregon right now. Rise and grind monkey man. Um, That's my new character, Rise and Grind Monkey Man. Okay, just like a guy who's like really dedicated. He's like to- half monkey, half man, and he's all about rise the rise and grind. That's what you. That's what you were thinking. Not <laughs> no, just no, a hardworking no, monkey. New char- no, no, no. The name was cute, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to tease out the character. But that's a so horrifying. He, uh, he, so it's a half monkey, half man. Every morning he goes in. Right up on the crypto exchanges, rise and grind, baby. What, what does he look like? I mean, that's a terrifying sort of image. No, why would it be terrifying? I mean, well, monkeys already are a type of man. Um, yeah, so I, he's double man. Ugh, I don't like that whatsoever. My name, <laughs> my name, my, my, my name is Bryce. <laughs> Awful. My name is Liz. Hello, everyone. Me produces Young Chomsky. <laughs> This is true, Anon. Welcome. I'm going to speak in Cockney rhyming slang Ugh. for this. Um, no, you're not, because that's not what you're doing. Bush knocked down the towers. What? No, was, sorry. I was a rap. I was, <laughs> you I just, just have Tourette's, it. but it's you just saying like 9-11 <laughs> yeah. things. He did do it. Mean, it's a song. <laughs> Um, we have, I, we, you know what? This is fucked up that I just did like uh, several minutes. Well, I guess I did Australian accent. We have a British guest. Yes. And he's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, these guys are assholes. No, he'll probably think it's funny. He has such a charming accent. I How love him so much. Yeah, he's great. We have, uh, I think one, I think big fan favorite, Tom mm-hmm. Fowler back on the show, talking to us about the UK spy cops case, which is what he was on the show previously to talk about. But now we got updates. Uh huh. And we got updates that the, Lie and fake news media from both here and across the pond mm-hmm. won't cover. They won't cover it. 
I, I do want to say a little uh, little director's commentary here. Uh, when uh, when the word tranche or tranche rather yeah, tranche. is mentioned, Liz's face lit up. <laughs> she 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 went like this. Well, I guess you can't see it when I'm doing it either. But uh, I'm going to put my face really close to this uh, high-end space-age microphone I'm using mm. and see if you can hear my skin crinkle. <laughs> you hear that? Because you're so moist. Yeah. Well, I put on a lot. Oh, my God. I put on a lot of stuff this morning. <laughs> All your serums. Oh. <laughs> Here's the thing. Oh, baby. Tranches like our thing. Yeah, we love tranches. We always say that on the show. Oh, we love it. No? Okay, let's not even say any of that because Brace has forgotten that we always make a we always make a face or a joke when we say tranche. And now um, you're pretending like you don't remember. I was literally that was the point of the thing that I said. Well now you're acting strange. Okay. Uh, Liz, I'm not gonna say it. But for those, I'm not going to say, I know. So right now, here's the thing, listeners. Liz is trying to get me to say that they, them pussy got me acting strange. I'm not going to, I, so I'm not saying it there. I'm just saying what she wants me to say. Oh my God. I'm not going to say, you know what? I'm such a cop out. Uh, no, it's not. Did you not want me to say that? You wanted me to say, I, you're, you're literally gaslighting me right now. My God. You're literally such, you're such a little bully. Yeah, bully yes. brain. Yes, I am. Being a bully is cool. Don't Sorry, bully me. You don't bully your teammate. I'm bullying you right now. Yeah, that's not. That's you're breaking the bully rules. Bully time starts now. Roll the interview. That they didn't pussy really do get me acting strange though. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest for you. Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite guests, finally returning, Tom Fowler, now of the Spy Cops Info podcast, which I have listened to and it's fantastic. Uh, we did a previous episode with him on the Spy Cops inquiry, and actually, really, just about the whole Spy Cops scandal. Um, but uh, but we we the second sort of round of inquiries have been completed. Uh, in the UK, and uh, and now we have him back. And Tom, for those of uh, our listeners who maybe didn't listen to the last episode, can you give us kind of like a general sum up of what the fuck is going on with this? Sure, man. So like, um, I guess like 10 years ago now, we discovered that there was a network of undercover police officers who'd been targeting political protest groups. Um, before long, we kind of found out that they would been going back to the units were formed in 1968. Um, and there was like at least 10 undercover officers at any given time on like four to five year deployments throughout like left-wing environmentalists, animal rights, uh, progressive causes of various types. Um, after like they kind of came out that they'd infiltrated things like the Stephen Lawrence family justice campaign and like uh, other high profile things. And that they'd, um, these undercover officers like fathered children and done other, loads of other fucking really bad shit, man. They did loads of really bad shit. Uh, there was a bit of a fuss and thanks to like some internal disagreements between the then home secretary and the police, a public inquiry was called in 2015. It only started like last year in November. Um, 
but yeah, it's kind of it, it's been starting from '68 and, and like kind of going through the various undercover officers and kind of picking apart their deployments, I guess, to a certain extent. I mean, like uh, it's been kind of limited in a lot of ways in what it's looked at, but we it's the first time we've really got a glimpse of these secret units and how they targeted the left. Um, yeah, so this was the second phase. This looked at like 1973 to 84. So it was um, it was a quite like a explosive time in in British political history. Yeah, and it's been yeah fascinating. Yeah, and you've been following it because you have a personal connection with the entire history here. Yeah, so like, I was a member of South Wales Anarchists um, during the 2000s. We were infiltrated by an undercover officer who used the name Marco Jacobs. Um, he was with like I, he, I hang around with him a great deal for like four or five years. We were kind of like busy mates, sort of thing. Um, turned yeah, he disappeared. We, I was quite lucky in, in compared to a lot of other people who were infiltrated. We found out quite quickly that he was an undercover cop within like a year or two. Um, a lot of other people spent twenty years kind of thinking that somebody in their group had been an undercover cop. So uh, yeah, like I, I was one of like when. Uh, People may have heard there was like a, a number of women who'd been um, deceived into long-term intimate sexual relationships with undercover officers, brought um, cases uh, against them, against the police, not against the individual officers, against the police. Um, and there was, there was, so there was like 11 women and one man, and I was the one man. Um, so I, I started kind of bringing like, um, going to court a lot. So I started like, because the coverage of this topic generally in the media has been very limited. Yeah. Um, mm. I've ended up like kind of using social media to cover it as much as I can really. Yeah, I've noticed too. A lot of the coverage, I think, um, I mean, rightly so. Like uh, the the sexual relationships that these cops entered into with women are like, I mean, it's appalling, right? Like anybody who hears about it's like that is a horrible, fucked up tactic. But that seems to be what like a lot of the coverage revolves around because I think because it's 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 not you know obviously it's shocking and stuff, but it's also salacious, right? You know, you got a little bit of sex in there and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, man! Fucking the tabloids love the sex, don't they, man? So yeah. like, yeah, that that was definitely been like the majority of the media coverage. Also because like that was the big thing that came in out at first, and because the police spun it as like a rogue officer mm-hmm. and then a rogue unit, it was like, oh, this was like this thing that went on that shouldn't have, and like, and then the media like kind of there was a lot of coverage at the, at the beginning about that, and then like editors are like, well, we've covered that. Well, since then we found out so much more, so much information has kind of drip dripped out. That like we realize, yeah, it's not a rogue officer. It's not a rogue unit. No. This was not like accidental. You know, this was like this is systemic, right? The whole thing's systemic. Uh, it goes back a long way. They had tradecraft manuals on this shit, um, and like that kind of. But like I think for a lot of reporters, they kind of pitch that to editors, and they just go, "Well, we've covered this. We covered this like eight years ago, and it was about the sex and stuff." So. We're just not covering it anymore. I think that's part of the problem, amongst other things. You know. Yeah, I mean, another thing too is that, like, this inquiry. So, so I mean, for those who haven't picked up on it yet, there is this inquiry going on out there, which is an official government inquiry. Um, yeah. But it's also taking yeah. fucking forever. I mean, I, I was reading an interview with uh, I can't remember what, what a victim from uh, I believe one a woman who was uh, you know in one of these relationships in the nineties, and she's like, yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, I've been going, but my my I'm not going to be able to give evidence until 2024. And I mean, like we talked about last time we, we interviewed, <laughs> this has been delayed and delayed and delayed. But mm. they finally did these yeah. four rounds of of inquiry. I, I guess four weeks. I don't know. Four rounds is necessarily the way to describe it. Yeah. So so so, the, so we had we had like two weeks about November, and then it was um, three and a half weeks just now. Um, but then they just announced just when this one started that the next round, which was meant to be this November, mm-hmm. is being put back to next year. Oh, At some point mm-hmm. next year, they don't even say when. Uh, and then also that the next phase after that will be a year later again. So we'll, uh, so 
uh, tranche two. So we're still on tranche one. We've just done phase two. Mm-hmm. There's like numerous phases to each tranche. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're probably, yeah. 2024, I think is a bit, uh, that was Lisa who said that. Um, she, she had, uh, and she, she was saying, yeah, that 2024, I think she was being optimistic personally. I, I think, um, I think like, um, there, I mean, there's a possibility that it'll never finish this inquiry that it'll just get like yeah. mothballed. Um, but, as we get closer to like the present day, because like the police have been dragging their heels. Of course. One of the big reasons for the delays is the police asking for anonymity orders, um, putting in judicial reviews, doing everything they can to slow down the process. Obviously they've got the documents and they've got to release the documents. So like they've dragged their heels on every step of that on the redactions. So like, I mean, that's what they do. They've done for like the early seventies. Like what, how do you think they're going to get to when it's right, like 10 right. years ago, man? It's, you know, I know it's like, you're going to get to like the two thousands. In like 10 years or something. Exactly. I was going to say, like, the first chair has already died. Um, we're on the second chairman of the inquiry already. Like, I mean, if he dies... <laughs> Wait, the first chairman of the inquiry died? Yeah, yeah. Lord Justice Pitchford was the original chair of the inquiry. Like, he wasn't that old, but yeah. I mean, this guy's older, I think, but yeah. I got to say, too, as as an outside observer to the UK judicial system, is I knew, you, I knew they wore the funky little robes and little hair, but there is a picture... <laughs> Of I can't remember who it is, but in the first um, like coverage of the week on that w- on that website, um, what, what's what's the URL? The campaign opposing police surveillance dot com. There we like, go. Snappy, snappy. That's us. Um, but there is a picture of of uh, of one of I believe a magistrate uh, in it, and the man is. Uh, so no, he's not a magistrate. He I mean he's a judge. Yeah. He's, a, he's the chair. It's uh, uh, Sir John Mitting is his name. Well, yeah. he 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 looks like goddamn Santa Claus, uh, except not jolly whatsoever. <laughs> the ru- the red is a truly un. Um, dignified color for a robe yeah it's yeah it's very funny um, looking. no offense but, but so we're talking about 72 to 84 you said in this mm. and yeah 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 famously so in britain those years were dominated by the far right i spell at least later the, the 80s i mean by by the, the yeah. emergence of the national well, so front. No, i mean like so in yeah so in 1977 the national front came third in the popular vote um, in the general election, they didn't win any seats. Uh, they won some council seats. Isle of Dogs was a famous one, uh, but like uh, they they were like replacing the Liberals as like the third biggest party in British politics. Now, I mean, Thatcher came on along in '79 and like stole all the policies. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, not all the policies, but like, you know, a lot of the policies. And, and, the, and the, also like the, the, the shtick, like, you know, the, they didn't have to see the exact policies, but people knew what, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink yeah. dog whistle kind of shit. But yeah, like they really, really were on the rise. And, um, at, you know, at the same time as they were like kind of presenting this political force, they were also on the streets in a really big way. Um, certain parts of Britain, which were like kind of, because uh, they, they, were t- they were doing marches through multicultural areas. There was like, there was all these little splinter groups, like, one of them we heard about the inquiry was the Dagenham Axe Clan, cl- clan with a K, um, that would go around and throw like axes through the windows of like, um, like they were in Dagenham, which at the time was a very white area. Yeah. So like, you know, they, they didn't have many people to go for, but they found like some mixed race woman who had a Jewish husband and they like, they, Jeez. you know, they, yeah. You know, I mean, like things like that was, was quite common at the time. Like there was a lot of it happening in the UK. So, you know, a lot, as you'd imagine, you know, the left's biggest it, kind of thing at the time was anti-fascism, right? Like that was, you know. And so you had all these really big demonstrations. Like, um, like last time I was on, we talked a lot about the anti-Vietnam war movement. Uh, and mm-hmm. like, that was the original yeah, sort yeah, of group yeah. that was targeted, um, after, uh, 68, you know, the, 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 uh, big right in, um, in Grosvenor square outside the U S embassy. But the next big thing that happened was the anti-apartheid movement. Um, and that was the next big thing they targeted, which was, uh, you know, 
solidarity with Black South Africa, you know, opposing the the apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, and the, there was a thing called the Stop the Seventy Tour, where um, a cricket team, a cricket's really big in in England, you may have heard of it. Um, and like the, mm-hmm. it's also in South Africa, and there was a tour planned, and there was like a, a campaign to like kind of people running on the pitch, you know, stopping these kind of these games happening. And this was kind of. Mm. This became sort of like the number one target for the undercover police after they'd kind of decided that they'd kind of done. Um, the, I mean, they hadn't completely done it, but they'd kind of finished with the Vietnam solidarity campaign. And there was actually, interestingly, that we heard a bit about the Palestine solidarity campaign, which started around then. They kind of infiltrated that right yeah, from the get go right. as well. Yeah, yeah, I read it. They started like right in '67. They sent undercover officers. In. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of the things which I, I think the last time I was on, I didn't really sort of underline enough is that like these undercover officers that we're talking about, when we talk about like, the spy cops, um, special demonstration squad, the National Public Order Intelligence Unit, these are like full, full deep cover undercover officers, right? And they were recruited from from like the um, C-section of uh, Special Branch, which are like already political police who used to turn up to demonstrations and meetings in plain clothes. Now, for me, for a long time as an activist when I was younger, I kind of thought that's what undercover police were, right? They were these guys who turned up to meetings and protests in plain clothes. But like to the police, that's not that's not undercover officers. That's plain clothes officers, right? So like um, a lot of the before these units were formed, like they were recruiting quite heavily from people who'd done that kind of work. And like a lot of the undercover officers we heard evidence from. Um, at this like, stage of the inquiry, they said, "Oh, I was, you know, I'd been in C-section for years. You know, I, I already was familiar with the targets. I was already familiar with the the mm. networks or whatever. I was just going into them now, you know, like properly." So, yeah, w- yeah. what were some of the groups that they they targeted? I mean, let's let's start kind of with the early seventies. I, I noticed that Socialist Workers Party comes up a lot, and that was less so now. But certainly was a pretty big group in the seventies uh, in, in in the UK. Right, I mean, Trotskyism in the UK has always you, had a let's say a special relationship. But uh, the, the the they they seem to have like a lot of front groups, which the which the special branch or rather, excuse me, the SDS infiltrated heavily. I mean, I'm talking about mm. some of the stuff that I was reading mm. in here. I mean, they were they were the granular level of detail. Uh, that that they were taking from these groups and writing up reports on. I mean, we're talking lists of who's babysitting whose kids with pictures of the kids in these sort of mm. reports. And so, like, w- yeah. you know, what 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 yeah. like, what what actual like groups were they were they really like kind of going after here? So uh, at the time, the Socialist Worker Party was originally called the International Socialists. Um, they changed their name to improve paper sales because the paper was called the Socialist Worker. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like anybody in the UK who's familiar will know that like the SWP is all about paper sales. Oh, um, yeah. Which is really interesting, actually. When we heard from Paul Cray, one of the undercover officers, he was still kind of a bit hung up on the paper selling thing. Like he, had, like he kind of, you could see, you could hear it in him. He was like kind of an, and then we we do this and that. And hopefully we'd sell lots of copies of Socialist Worker. <laughs> and like it was put to him that he wasn't a very good seller. Yeah, well, that's the most important thing. I mean, that's uh, you could say that is actually like a pretty important way to strike back at the spy cops is doing the t- classic Trotskyist tactic of you have to sell this newspaper uh, every day <laughs> for some reason. Right. Yeah. But like, I mean, like yeah, when we talk about, so like um, there was the anti-apartheid movement was literally the name of the, of the thing. And the yeah. Start the 70 tour was like the, the, the original enemy. But then the next big one was like, obviously Ireland was like a really big, you know, I mean, obviously, Ireland is still a big issue in in British politics. But um, like uh, in the early seventies, where the, a group called the Troops Out Movement started, mm-hmm. um, which was like a you know an unaffiliated to Irish Republicanism campaign, it was very much set itself as like kind of a you know non sectarian, like uh, bring the troops home. You know, don't let you know, don't have the troops on the ground in Northern Ireland. We love um, our squaddies. We want them that, back. Like, I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, like, I, I think there was definitely an attempt by, maybe a slightly cynical yeah. attempt by those on the left to try and to tap into, like, kind of that kind of, so it was, like, very broad-based, you know, lots of, like, you know, yeah. vicars and fucking politicians involved. But, like, um, Rick Gibson, who was one of the undercover officers, um, I mean, he man- he was one of the ones who, like, really, like, learned how to use, like, having sexual relationships with people in order to get himself, like, up, yeah. up the levels of the organization. I mean, he ended up as national convener of the organization. I mean, like, like there's, uh, and, uh, there was later another undercover officer that ended up on like, you know, on the central committee, like, and not for like a short period, like 18 months, he was national. <laughs> I mean, this is not like, Jesus. um, some sort of, you know, I mean, he's not like I'm in the group. He's like running the national network, the national kind of campaign, like the whole thing. Um, so like, yeah, they, they, I think one of the reasons why they, the, the police really like kind of infiltrated the international socialists and the socialist worker party, their successor so deeply is partially because, um, it was possible to do that. Like kind of, there's lots of elected position. I mean, like, you know, the people who infiltrated the anarchists, the best they could do was hang around freedom press a lot and like kind of hope to bump into right, people right, and become right. buddies with people and shit to like kind of work their way up. Whereas in the SWP, you just, I mean, like, so Rick Gibson, there wasn't a branch in the area that he was set to. So he, he kind of, he contacted, um, someone, uh, Rich Chessman to like set up a branch and he, like, he contacted the national, he was like, oh, we, we need a branch in this area. Then he became the rep for that branch. And then he got the rep for that branch to become like rep for the region. And then he became rep for London, you know, and he kind of moved his way up through the ranks. Um, just sort of like kind of creating, like was, we had a few examples of that. I mean, particularly with the Maoists, um, like there was one, which was like a three, per, like a, a, one of the other couple started his own faction with like Jesus. members of other Maoist groups, like, like who had yeah. been expelled and they started this and they produced like one pamphlet that was denouncing all the other Maoist groups. I've got to be honest, I like, it's, it's been an education for me in like, kind of like, I'm an anarchist, right? So yeah. like my history, like I kind of know the anarchist stuff and I read all the old anarchy magazines, you know, we had about, Albert, it was, uh, we had about Albert Meltzer and like Stuart Christie quite a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. These are like kind of, you big know, fan, big, fan big of names here. in British yeah, yeah, anarchism. Yeah. Man, Stuart Christie, anarchist granddad, man. Like, I mean, it really sad that he died last year. You know, for a long time at the Anarchist Book Fair mm. in London, it was like one of those people you'd be like, kind of, oh, hello, Mr. Christie. You know, it was kind of exciting to meet. But I've used, I used a lot of his work on this show. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool, man. Yeah, yeah, Great yeah. Towards the citizens' militia. Yeah. Um, but like he, um, yeah, but like the, in terms of like the, the Maoist stuff, I had no idea. Like, I didn't realize like, so much of that stuff. And it was quite interesting to kind of, they were quite small groups, but then I mean, they were heavily infiltrated like everybody else was. Mm. Uh, though the cops who, who did that, like that was like a really bum deal. Lots of the other cops were like, I oh, couldn't have done that. Couldn't have infiltrated, mm. couldn't have infiltrated those. You know, it was too much, too much reading, too much, like too involved, you know, <laughs> and like, and the men were always getting told off, you know, for being misogynists, you know? <laughs> well, we had here in America, actually one of the sort of like, there was a, there was a, um, a group, a Maoist group, started entirely and staffed entirely by the FBI. Actually, we interviewed an author. He not Fantastic. about the book he wrote about that, but there's a book called I believe Heavy Radicals, um which mm-hmm. is about just FBI infiltration of Maoist groups in the 70s and they started their own and started sending out I mean there was no actual group that you could join, but they sent out newsletters to different people right. and like, you know, presented themselves as like a Maoist branch of the Communist Party USA. And so, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times, mm. unfortunately, as a Maoist, most Maoist groups had, do have uh, somewhere where you can count the guys <laughs> on your fingers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, and, and these officers too would, would go from group to group to group as well. Um, I mean, I think like the, the thing with like the, the office, like what we found out was that early on, like officers could kind of do what they wanted. They were like, we need someone in this part of London. So like go and join whatever's happening in that area. 
you know? Uh, and like, but they were given a lot of leeway. Like I say, like Rick Gibson started up his own group uh, in that area. Like other people like, um, you know, like, like say Vince Miller, who we heard quite a lot about because he had a relationship with um, a woman who gave evidence, Madeline. Um, he was in Walthamstow and like, I mean, the amount of information he had about people who'd like bought copies of Socialist Worker in Walthamstow, it wasn't just like people who like turned up to demonstrations or members of the party. It was like people who turned up to one meeting, like, you know, like public meetings about one topic, yeah. you know, like some local issue maybe, or like people who just regularly bought the paper. You know, I mean, we heard from like Paul Gray um, about like, you know, just some 15 year old lad who'd like had a problem with racists in his school, who'd like, you know, kind of talked to the S, like gone to SWP paper sales to get in the face of the National Front. And I mean, like, he'd had a res- registry file opened on him at like 15. You know, he's being spied on from an early age. I mean, like, you know, the, so the registry files are like the, um, they're the MI5 files, which like special branch have access to. So they're like the kind of the bit of the security services as opposed to the plod, you know, the police that are like mm-hmm. kind of, go between the two um so like having a registry file on you is like that's your card mark son you know and like the people getting these registry files on them for like very little you started earlier you were saying about the difference between plain clothes and deep cover like that Mm. that that kind of the perception being that they're like we kind of understood, but the slow drip of information that's coming out is that, you know, in order for them to infiltrate and be kind of able to infiltrate all these different groups, it's like a totally different level of intelligence that these like intelligence level training that these guys are working with. I think that's like been, that was really surprising to me reading all of this stuff. Cause I think I was like you, it's like, Oh, I think I understand how this works. You know, it's like everyone thinks, Oh, he's a cop. Oh, he's a fed, but it's like a totally different level um, of training even involved. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think like one of the things which I think is really kind of like the most sort of, most shocking, I mean, like fucking hell, there's, you can't, there's so much shocking shit, but like one of the things that really kind of is how much they use trauma, right? So a lot of people who were infiltrated um, had, you know, like certain traumatic things that happened in their lives. And we see those like echoing in like um, later deployments. Like undercover cops have picked it up as like, oh, this is a good like little. So then it turns up as like a, so, you know, they've always like, their parents are always dead. They've been fostered or adopted. Um, There's like, you know, the the breakup of a relationship is like there's certain sort of like kind of hallmarks a lot of the undercover officers had, which they'd built up from like kind of studying the lives of activists and what activists are like. And if you look through the, like the tradecraft manual, you're seeing like kind of, you know, these kind of, act, this group, they're like this, they've got these sort of, a lot of it like kind of cartoonish and like bullshit, you know, but a lot of it is like kind of, Ooh, I feel seen, you know what I mean? So yeah, there's like, there's definitely like a lot more kind of, there's a lot more in it than like even, uh, like, but particularly like when we, we, we heard about like kind of the level to which like, it's because it's not just like, you know, when I say, oh, if you bought copies of Socialist Worker in, in Walthamstow in the late 70s, you were on a list. It wasn't just your name. It was your address, your job, if you're a member of a trade union, how much you earned, who you lived with, uh, what you looked like, what the people you lived with looked like, what they did for a job, if they were members of a trade union, where they went on to move to next. I mean, we had some files where like kind of has not been involved in radical politics for three years. And that, that's the opening line, you know, about this person, <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, you know, it's just literally like kind of, you know, I mean, I mean, one of the interesting ones, so like uh, Lord Peter Hayne was one of the people who gave evidence, who was targeted quite a lot because he'd been very involved mm. in the um, anti-apartheid movement. I mean, mm. he was being spied on in 2003, um, where he was described in an undercover police report as a South African terrorist. 
Now, at the time, he was a member of the British cabinet, Blair's cabinet, right? They have just gone to fucking war with Iraq. He was Welsh secretary. He was father of the House of Commons. Like, I mean, I mean admittedly, he was a Labour Party politician, right? And you can never truly join the established establishment in this country unless you're... I mean, like, you know, it was a Labour government, but it's the... Like, the Conservative Party is their state, right? Britain is their state. They right, kind of, right, you know... Right. Like they're, they're always in charge, really. So, like, I guess he was never fully, you know, in this country. You can't. You're, you're still. You'll still be spied on, like, unless yeah. you're a Tory, because we, we we haven't found any Tories yet. But you know. Oh no, no, yeah. and that 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 sort of brings me. I mean, speaking of 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 Tories and their, you know, sort of their little step cousins, or I would say step brothers in the National Front. I mean, you talked about earlier, the National Front starts mm. in 1977, right? And I, I think that like, I mean, oh, no, so it didn't start then, but that's its high watermark. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But so I, I forget the year it starts. I, I think it starts at like uh, late sixties, um, but it's, it's small at first, but it really grows to like being the national party of British fascism um, by, by 77 and that election stands a lot of candidates. That's also, I mean, it sort of coincides with the rise of just the skinhead movement. I don't know what you want to call it in, in the UK. Uh, and, and a lot of like, I would say on the skinhead thing, like, I mean, it, so I mean, no, no, no you, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. I mean, like, um, but the skinhead movement's bigger than that. I mean, like, you yeah. know, there was a lot of um, skinheads uh, who were joining left-wing groups oh. involved in anti-fascist organizing at the time. You know what I mean? No, I'm, um, I'm familiar. It's a two-sided yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like, I mean, I, I live in South Wales, so like the local like skinheads around here, like the oppressed, who are like kind of you know very much. Um, yeah, but, like we'll never let you like mention skinheads without bringing this fact up. So you know, so, yeah. yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'm a rocker, baby. I know. I'm familiar. I had all the Cockney Rejects <laughs> records. I got the Oppressed record. Also, unfortunately, I had the Combat 84 record, but I didn't know about them back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, the um, – the, but but you know there was a huge surge in far right violence just on the streets of England. Mm. I mean mm. that is like you know without a doubt. I think maybe American you know Americans might might know that. I mean just you might just know about it. But you know there was that uh, that that uh, what was that? This is England movie that came out that sort of yeah, showcased yeah, yeah. that yeah. Uh, pretty well. Um, but yeah. uh, but what's yeah. a sort of astounding is that the only case of SDS infiltration of far right groups. Uh, that that I'm familiar with in this comes from a member, a cop joining the Socialist Workers Party, I believe, and the Socialist Workers Party, uh, Workers Revolutionary oh, Party, me, Workers, Workers Revolutionary, Revolutionary Party, Party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the Workers Revolutionary yeah, yeah. Party having them go undercover to join. Uh, I, I don't know exactly which group it was, but I. Um, so it was uh, it was League of Saint George. I mean, he was infiltrating like basically the local branch of the National Front, yeah. but it was League of Saint George was there, kind of was who he he kind of he. Went back to his superiors and went, oh, these these guys seem pretty serious. Maybe we should infiltrate these. They were like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it, son. Don't yeah, worry about yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it really feeds into this thing we kind of, we see a lot, you know, of like kind of, I don't know about the US, but in, I guess you probably okay, same over there. But in the UK, there's this kind of feeling that whilst like left-wing politics is like sedition, like working for foreign governments, you know, kind of trying to overthrow society, that like like extreme racism and fascism are like legitimate white working class concerns. You know, we saw it much more recently with the rise of the English defense league, like 10 years ago, mm. where we had like senior police officers saying that the Muslim group should engage with the legitimate concerns of the English defense league. It's like, I, you know, I mean, there's this, there's this kind of this thing that like for, for the establishment, you know, the, the far right are a, well, the, the, 
they're, they're useful, right? They're like kind of they, they, and I think this is so much about what the actual the point of these undercover deployments was, because it was about fighting social attitudes, and like obviously they didn't need to fight those social attitudes. I mean, those social attitudes like really fitted into their own agenda. So like, why would you want to like dampen them right, down? Right, right, right. So yes, yeah, so there was none of the far right, but the anti-fascists. I mean, boy, did they get fucking infiltrated in a big way? Yeah, yeah, in a yeah. seriously big way. I mean, because. There was there was a really big anti-fascist movement in the UK in the in the 70s and 80s. I mean, there was mm. you know obviously Searchlight Magazine, all that kind of stuff. But but this tactic of even having uh, members go undercover into right wing groups was like actually a surprisingly mm. pretty common one. Which which you, you see, I see a lot in the UK. Not sure how much that happened in the US, but also the US uh, our far right sort of manifested itself into militia movements, which were. Well, the FBI had a lot of engagement with them, um, which, you know, culminated in the Oklahoma City bombing, which the FBI did, but uh it not not it was not the same sort of engagement as 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 left wing groups and right wing groups had in the UK. Um but uh there was the big battle of Lewisham. Can you tell us Oh but Lewisham, yeah, Lewisham. Lewisham nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, man. I mean like yeah, Lewisham. I mean, I think like, um, so Lewisham was a very multicultural area. Um, and there was a real sort of like, what the National Front sort of tactic was at the time was to go to like um, the most multicultural place they could um, and, you know, do a show of strength through it. They had a section of the National Front called the Honor Guard, <laughs> because obviously these people are fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, and like, they would be all like kind of in, you know, you know streetwear, but in uniform with like, you know, turn up, uh, stay press. Uh, jeans, bomber jackets, this sort of certain look, big boots. Uh, and they would go through and like, you know, uh, there would be like increases in racial attacks in those areas after they'd done the marches, you know, kind of, it was really kind of designed to sort of, to make a, you know, to, 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 to kick things off. There, there was, you know, the far right have always been about kind of kicking off a race war, right? So this was like kind of an attempt at that sort of thing. And Lewisham, I think was like the moment when, um, so like we had a few undercover police talk about it as like kind of, that's when British public order policing changed. Um, that we started seeing the rise of like the um, the riot cop as we know them now. You know these body armored mm-hmm. kind of guys that like if you I mean you can fight a riot cop all you like, man. You ain't hurting him. Like when he's in all that gear, you ain't hurting him. But back then, yeah. you could fight a cop. You could actually fight a cop. You know, you'd like you probably <laughs> lose, but you could fight one. You know, you could actually you know you could you could have a co- have a pop like you know. Um, you could you could get you could get fist to face. Yeah, yeah, it would be physically possible. Yeah, physically possible, not went over. Like, yeah, 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 for sure. So, like, this was kind of. Um, so yeah, like Lewisham was like the, the 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 moment where like kind of anti-fascists were like, right now, fuck this. We're yeah. like, and there was you know there, there was significant violence. Um, you know, uh, nobody was killed. Uh, there was eight. You know, there was eighteen undercover officers there that day. Um, interestingly, you know, we go on two years to um, the. Um, Oh God, I'm trying to think of the name of the bloody, the location of it. Southall, Southall. Southall in 1979, where a a member of the Socialist Workers' Party, Blair Peach, was beaten to death by um, members of the Special Patrol Group, which is the specialist unit that had been set up after uh, Lewisham. Um, Like, only one undercover officer admits to have been there, which is obviously a fucking lie. Um, You know, they were heavily, heavily um, infiltrating the the anti-fascist movement at that time. And like, you know, that we, the reports we've got from that, you know, it's, 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 it's about everything, right? It's about everything. It's, it's the same as everything else. You know, it's the, the detail, no detail too small, right? Everything recorded. Uh, particularly of course, like um, the personal detail, the personal sort of, you know, all the pretty girls, right? They list all the pretty girls and like, and, and like kind of their, mm. their, 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 the size of their chests and all that kind of stuff, you know, but like, um, 
Yeah, but by the time you've got to like the late seventies, um, the, the National Front have really been like kind of uh, they, they've become like a you know a, a significant threat. I think to anybody like you know. There's, there's there's numerous like kind of uh, race attacks. Um, there's splinter groups like Column 88, um, the, uh, the mm-hmm. Dalston Axe Clan, uh, who are like going around throwing axes through the windows of like mixed race couples and stuff. Uh, and you get things like the, these community defense groups springing up, um, which are like, you know, admittedly like kind of inspired by the left, but they're bit, it's bigger than that. And I mean, this was the thing that the, the police really realized they couldn't deal that this was the problem you know that they this is why they were maybe one of the reasons why they were so desperate for like the slightest bit of information about anybody who was vaguely connected because you know a lot of these people who are fighting the fascists back they're not like they're not trotskyites they're not now isn't it what those fucking words mean they just live here and these are the people who are fucking making their lives misery you know right. what i mean so like a lot of anti-fascists yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. coming from a political place and the police were like shit how do we how do we stop those ones you know um, the, the, there was a really famous uh, Rock Against Racism gig with like The Clash in 1978. It was in Victoria Park. Right, it was, like, right, a really yeah, famous yeah, yeah. concert. It's in that film Rude Boy. I don't know if you like, know The Clash, but it's in the film Rude Boy. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, a really yeah, famous yeah, kind yeah, of. of and like, it, you know, 100,000 people turned up, right? It's like this. It's, like, uh, the undercover officers had no idea it was going to be that big. I mean, the organizers who we, we spoke to, they had no idea it was going to be that big either. It was like, whoa, shit. This is, <laughs> you know, it's, it turned into a massive event. And there was, there was, um, you know, from the like the public order unit within Special Branch, they were like, really angry with the SDS. Like, what? You know, we didn't. You didn't tell us there was going to be this many people. And there's a National Front demonstration mm. tomorrow, and there's hun- tens of thousands of anti-fascists in London, especially. How are we meant to guarantee the safety of the National Front tomorrow? I mean, that you know, that's that's an internal memo. <laughs> that's the key. You surprise the organizers, and then you can surprise the cops. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. That's what we can yeah, learn yeah. from this. <laughs> Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it really is. You know, it's the spontaneous stuff they can't fucking deal with. You know, or just yeah. I mean, I think that's such a fascinating point about you know the, uh, you know, for people who don't understand the the history there, but with the anti-fascist movement in Britain in the late seventies, early eighties, like being as big as it was, and really being like just about like like neighborhoods and families like protecting mm. their streets, like quite literally. Mm. Um, mm. It, and it being almost apolitical at that point, right? And that being the the biggest threat to the cops because they had no they they have no like there's no pathway for them to get into just like literally regular working people's homes that are not um, politically active on that kind of like vanguard front. That's like a really right. important, th- I, I think, an important kind of um, like organizing point to internalize, really. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think like, uh, you know, it's that thing of like, kind of, if, you know, if, if revolution means anything, it has to be like rooted in everyday life, all that shit. That's really yeah, true. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, like, how do you, how do you break into family units? I mean, the police found ways, um, family sure. justice campaigns of which we hear that like, the first one with, with the Blair Peach campaign, which is really heavily targeted. And we, we heard a lot about that this, this phase, but like, in future phases, they, you know, they like pretty much every single person who was killed by the police or in a racist attack, and then there was a family justice campaign about it, they made sure they infiltrated that. They put a lot of resources into those because they saw those as like kind of more dangerous than the left almost. You know, these are like mm. ordinary working class people organizing for themselves and and they're ethnic minorities. Oh my God, fucking hell. That's like the worst thing. <laughs> One-two you know, punch. They can fucking imagine. All right, <laughs> for real. Yeah, I, I mean, that that is an interesting point because like if there's anything you can learn from these inquiries and like something that, I mean, I myself am very intimately familiar with is that left-wing organizations often have a lot of um, 
problems. I mean, everything from paranoia, which actually in this case would have been justified, um, but to bizarre, like, you know, parliamentary maneuverings and like, you know, <laughs> the, the, the psychology of being in some of these groups, I think makes your brain a little twist. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're talking about, I, I think it was Diane Langford, uh, who was in the women's liberation front, mm. um, who, who gave evidence. Mm. Uh, there was, uh, there was an SDS. I think a, a woman officer from the SDS, uh, joined the women's liberation group mm. and got her, Sandra, yeah, yeah, got her ousted as the leader by leading a campaign <laughs> against her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we see a few times. Essentially, like you had this thing of like kind of these these officers who were like kind of getting themselves up to power. They were doing it at the expense of other people. Like, I mean, we we had a number of undercover officers going, "Well, I didn't do anything. I've got elected that position, but I didn't do anything. I didn't do any work as that position. I just got the position because I was asked to, and people elected me to do it. But I didn't want it, and I didn't do anything. But like, what you actually see is, is like, yeah, you went and replaced a really capable person who was really driven and would have done a really good job." And you went and sat in that position and like fucked about and like kind of denounced some people and split the group and expelled someone. And yeah, you know, I mean like, yeah, you didn't do much except for, you know, make a mess. Yeah. Like you've just hold on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, she gave, she gave evidence that, uh, that, that, that Sandra Davies like ignored, there was like a rape allegation mm. at one of these meetings and she just totally shunted that aside with, with the intention of, of focusing on Langford and her partner. And like, and just like ridiculing them yeah, and getting yeah. them out of power. And so like, yeah, I mean, these things do actually have some pretty big, I mean, even if they say like, oh, you know, I was just sort of sat in this position on this group that would have disappeared in a few years anyways. Like, you know, I mean, mm. it, 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 certainly that may be literally true, but, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of details mm. here that I think that are pretty important. I mean, it's worth noting that like, kind of, I mean, if you read the, the women's, uh, the women's liberation front, I mean, it was a Maoist front mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, but like, you know, their campaign points you know they're full of things which now you'd go like what like, i mean remember back then like it, women couldn't have their own bank accounts in britain <laughs> you know right. like you could, yeah i mean like you know rape inside marriage was only made illegal in 1990 in the uk right you know they, yeah. like, there's a lot of things that are you know like the rights of somebody born outside wedlock was significantly less than someone born inside wedlock. all these so many of these things right which th- th- their campaign points were kind of pretty you know <laughs> like Pretty reasonable. I mean, like some of the kind of are quite radical even now, but like I think we'd all probably agree with them. But like the most of it is kind of sounds like pretty middle of the road stuff. Um, so like you know, like taking down those sort of groups, it's like wow, they really were at war with certain social attitudes. You know, it's like with the troops out movement and the anti apartheid movement. These were really popular things. They had like a lot of widespread support in the country. You know, and I mean, like, so the troops out movement like never really kind of got anywhere particularly, but like there was a lot of support for their line. You know, this sort of like, you know, we're not um, we're not supporting Irish republicanism. We're not saying that Ireland should be reunited, but we're saying that we shouldn't have a military operation happening in in Northern Ireland. You know, and that that right. was like quite, you know, that opinion polling kind of put that as like kind of majority position, right? So yeah, the, the and like same with the anti racism, you know, and the anti fascism. These were big cultural social movements, you know, of like kind of which went yeah. beyond politics, and they were fighting against them as much as they were for like kind of little groups that were doing something specific. What has been like the most, you know, after this phase of the inquiry, like what has been the most surprising for the, of the like drip, slow drip that's come out or even from like a, from a procedural standpoint? 
I mean, procedurally, I mean, it's been, we've definitely kind of got a sense of how this is all going to work now. Um, like, I mean, it's really telling, apart from Diane Langford, who forced her way in by being mentioned so much in the first phase. And she was like, hang on, <laughs> like, you've, met, right. you've, you've named me repeatedly. I'd like demand to give evidence to this inquiry. Yeah. Um, everybody else, apart from like Dr. Norman Temple, who like, obviously the inquiry, like, once this woman from the Maoists had like forced her way in, he was like, well, we have to get a man from the Maoists because we can't trust a woman. I mean, they're still, mm. you know, it's still <laughs> dripping with misogyny itself. It's, it's an establishment institution, right? So they had sure. Dr. Norman Temple, who was like, I don't want to slag anybody off on the like the anti-state side, but like he was a terrible witness. Jesus wept. God, he was awful. Ed Dorian, man. Ed Dorian from the from the Irish Republican Socialist Front. Oh, he was a bad man. He didn't like him. He used the entire time giving evidence to slag him off. But anyway. Um He was just denouncing another guy. All right. Classic. Yeah, yeah. He just used the like classic Maoist man. Do you know what I mean? And, and like when, when he was asked directly about the undercover <laughs> officer, he was like, Oh, I didn't really know him. It was just like with Ed Dorian, though. Ed Dorian he was like Trump. <laughs> oh, he was awful. It was like but um, but like in terms of like kind of the the line of questioning that we, we're seeing, a lot of it's been particularly early on in the proceedings, like uh, non-state, non-police corps participants, which is what they like to call members of the public. It's like this really long-winded mm-hmm. name to like you know only in, only in like kind of establishment. So, well, you're not the police, you're not the state. So what do we call you? Oh, you're the non-police, non-state people. It's like no, we're the public, mate. That's just, mm. <laughs> anyway. But like the, yeah, the question yeah, yeah. has been very Citizens, hostile. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, um, well, we're subjects technically in Britain. We're not citizens, but um, like the there's oh, like right. um, yeah, shit, mate. That's honestly, it's like fucking living in the fucking Middle Ages sometimes. Um, God damn it. But like, there was this like kind yeah. of um, <laughs> there's like, these this sort of like, the, the way that it's structured is very much like kind of yeah, but you were being violent, weren't you? Like, you may not have been being violent, but you could see mm-hmm. how that disorder would be distressing, don't you? I mean, what were the police meant to do? How I mean, you know, like you may say that you were engaging with the police, but there were there were sections within your group that were like would would cause disorder. I mean, how else were they meant to know without putting undercover officers into your group? Now, obviously, the nature of inquiries is is that like you've got counsel the inquiry, and then like all the other sort of the interested parties submit questions to them for the witnesses, right? So we're saying like we want you to ask this. From my, my lawyer would be like, oh, I want these things asked, and the police would be like, I want these things asked, right? But like. The tone and the tenor of it has been very hostile and accusatory and kind of aggressive in places. And particularly in some cases, like really kind of like taking people back to incredibly traumatic events, whether that's like the first time they had sex with this guy who was an undercover officer mm. or like when their partner was murdered by the police and made them relive that day, which, I mean, I've got to be honest, like, because I totally immersed myself in it. I got like much more emotionally like upset about that than I probably should have done. Because I just thought fucking like, what the fuck are these people doing this for like and it just shows a there's a lack of respect for the like the the, the shattered lives that they've got in front of them uh, at the same time there's you know it's telling the only time that the uh, the chair of the inquiry like he after anybody gave evidence he'd thank them but the only time he ever said oh thank you for being an honest witness was to undercover cops Mm. Who hadn't been fucking honest by anybody's fucking metric, like Jesus. I mean, things definitely changed when um, there was the questioning of Madeline, which was, again, very hostile, I thought. And then the next day, they had the questioning of Vince Miller, who was the undercover officer who she'd had a sexual relationship with. Um, and he was like, um, I don't know how the hell he was the undercover cop, because he gave away every tell in the world of lying. <laughs> he was like, it, you know, he was sweating profusely. He was, he was like this on the screen, like kind of like, edging off the, out of the corner. Um, he was playing with his neck and his forehead and like doing, pulling on his ear and just doing every telling. Like from a TV himself. show or something. 
Pull on the air is the most obvious one. No one even does that. I know, right? I know. It was like a joke almost. Because what's interesting is because none of that footage, I mean, the chair can see it. I could see it and the people in the viewing room could see it, but that no longer exists. That The audio doesn't even exist anymore. They don't keep the audio. Huh. Um, so you've just got the what? written record of it. Yeah, so like technically this whole event, if it wasn't for COVID, it would be happening uh, all in the same room and there would be just the stenographer's transcript, you know, no photographs, no audio, oh, nothing. Oh, I see. Um, because of COVID, it's been broadcast, admittedly inside a closed circuit, with certain people being allowed to hear the audio of it if they kind of put a request in. Uh, but like, yeah, when it's when it's up, when COVID's over, there will be none of that. There'll be no broadcasting of it at all. So people have been able to follow it I, a lot of it quite easily. Um, the non-state corporate, well, I say easily. I mean, it's not none of it's easy. It's designed to be alienating and confusing the whole fucking process. But um, it is possible if you get like kind of access to the audio to kind of follow things. Um, but like once it's in person again, unless you actually physically turn up, there's no way you could follow it. You know. Um, we mentioned yeah. the like lack of press coverage and I mean, at least in, mm. I mean, obviously in the U S there's been literally zero. That's not that surprising, mm. but the, you know, the UK press hasn't been all over this stuff either. Um, I, I don't Far even know how it, many, no. I mean, certainly in the States, I don't even know how many people, including like journalists are aware of this. Um, but it's been sort of shocking. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, so we've had um, like, there's uh uh, Rob Evans at the Guardian, who like has right. been following this story since the very beginning, and uh, he files stories on it as often as he can. Mm-hmm. So during the inquiry, there was a new article every day. I mean, because of the nature of the press, he's filing at like midday, early afternoon, and the inquiry's running to like seven in the evening, and then there's another day tomorrow. So like, it's kind of what he actually kind of puts into the press is kind of it's not the whole picture at all. And then, then the Morning Star, the the, the People's Daily, the uh, left wing daily English newspaper, the only one I think in the world still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we've had we've had a we've had a guy on from there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so Bethany Riley from them, she was at the inquiry every day, and like fair play to her, she stayed there all day. And again, she had to file in the early afternoon, but she actually stayed the whole thing and kind of. Think she's got like kind of she's immersed herself in it as much as any of the activists did, um, and like she's you know filing regular reports. But like in both cases, every one of them sort of like reintroduces the topic to the reader because like, and it's such a fucking complex topic, right? There's it's a hard thing to kind of get across to people unless you go into massive depth. So if you look at the daily reports that the we did as well, the campaign opposing police surveillance, which I'm part of, um, did daily reports. You know, we're like so detailed because like nobody else is doing the detail like at all you know it's it's just completely missing because those who are covering it so like dominic cancini from the bbc uh, and simon israel from channel four both kind of covered it in like limited amounts but mm-hmm. both of them had terrible trouble with their editors getting these things so they did like reports for the website but it didn't get on the tv news um just because they were like oh we kind of covered this years ago you know like we don't get it don't get why it's a story now and like there's i mean like, partially you know i think it's um because we're learning how far it goes, right? Like the these reports were going to the Home Secretary. These um, the directions for these undercover officers were coming from MI5. The security mm-hmm. services were asking for specifics. They were asking like a lot. I was surprised how that was when actually you we were saying what was surprised you most. But I think one of the things that kind of did surprise me was. I knew that, like you know, MI5 wanted the files, right? They wanted any information, so you know, put it in, put it in box five hundred as well as everything else, right? As well as our own files, we give it to MI5. But then the other way, the the 
the, the requests, the memos coming from MI5, going to um, the individual officers, going like, we want the name and addresses of everybody in this area who's involved in anything, and we want to know, like, we need this updated. I mean, so much so that undercover officers were, like, sending memos back going, this is too much work. I can't do this. I need, like, another three members of staff. I'm <laughs> gonna, they're asking me for way too much. Um, so they were, like, not doing th- some parts of it, but you're doing huge parts of it, huge amount of it. And it's starting to see that actually, you know, that maybe the SDS are kind of like, they're, they're just like foot soldiers for MI5 really. Um, which kind of, mm, I'd always yeah. kind of thought again, like kind of the MI5 were in the Soviets, Irish Republicans, you know, shit like that. Not like, you know, <laughs> like the women's liberation. Not Front domestically. Stop the 70. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean, we we saw the same thing here in the in the '67. I mean, up until today too, is that like our intelligence services basically a lot of the times will use local cops. I mean, killing a Fred Hampton is a, a great example. I mean, that was made popular, I guess, by that movie last year. But like, you know, in, in a lot of different cases, would definitely use local cops. I mean, either as foot soldiers to beat the shit out of somebody or kill somebody, or just to spy on people. You know, as, as essentially just like a manpower problem. You know. You know, you, you don't necessarily have enough agents at the federal level to do it. You got to get some fucking cops uh, you know, on the ground. I think what's interesting yeah, too absolutely. then is that, is that it's like, I guess I always assumed, and I don't know how, what, you, what you guys think about this, but I always assumed it's, it's like there's, it's way more informal, like that kind of um, <laughs> communication, you know, like that it's kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, you know, it's like your idea about what a plainclothes thing, you know, and, and oh, maybe they meet with a guy at a thing, but it's not, you know, a fucking memo. It's not like you're saying these boxes, get these back to me. But but the kind of like chain of, I mean, it's not really a chain of command, but the, the kind of like tree information and kind of intelligence tree is, I, I mean, it's pretty shocking. I had no idea how involved mm. MI5 was. I mean, it, what's interesting, actually, at, at the same time as the inquiry was taking place, we also had um, Kate Wilson's case at the Investigative Powers Tribunal taking place, mm. just at the beginning of this set of the inquiry. Um, and that was looking at, uh, Paul, uh, at uh, Mark Kennedy's deployment in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, now, the Investigative Powers Tribunal is like a really secretive court within the Home Office just for human rights stuff. Uh, and like... For years doing like legal cases against the police, it was always kind of figured that you'd never do that. But she carried on and did it. And it was at the same time as the inquiry, which is really irritating because you couldn't, it was really hard to follow both. Uh, and it's really, it's a really complex court and the way they work is really complex. But we actually ended up with a lot of disclosure from that. And what we saw from that is like by the 2000s, we're talking like every 20 minutes, they're talking to their handlers. Like the, the relaying of information, the request for information, it's, it's not like kind of, oh, we have a weekly, like in the 70s, they're having twice weekly meetings where they're filing reports and like kind of having debriefs. But like by the 2000s, they're like every 20 minutes, text messages, phone calls, constantly, constantly in touch. Um, and like the, 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 the requests that are coming through, it was really interesting at the inquiry, we had um, a, one of the bits of evidence was from um, a witness said from MI, MI5, uh, and I forget if it was in that or it was something that was in the investigative powers tribunal pack, but you know, this thing from like MI five that like kind of, Oh, well the problem was these were like, you know, these were, these were plod doing like a, a posh boys job. You know, they weren't, they weren't suitably good enough at it. And like, this is the thing for the security services. They're, they're, they're very elitist, very, very elitist. Yeah. You, ain't, you ain't getting recruited unless you've gone to one of the top unis or whatever. So they have got a manpower issue, you know, cause they all want to retire young as well. So, you know, mm. they don't, you know, it's like, 
there's there's a real shortage of like, you got you got to go overthrow like the Seychelles government. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 You know, you kind of like expected. You know, you expect way more of them than that. So, yeah, the, the real manpower issues, and like if they're you know looking at the at the, these sort of mass movements that are happening, they have to use like, local police. A couple of things that stood out to me, um, too, were, were I mean, again, you, you talked about, we, we, I think we talked about this in the first episode, but using the identity of dead children as their identities. Uh, mm, a couple things yeah. about that is, one, I didn't know that they actually took that from Day of the Jackal. Yeah, so like... We kind of thought that was like kind of a joke that it would take them to the other because it's known as the Jackal Run within the um, within the SDL, which we'd heard from Peter Francis, who was the whistleblower who kind of um, came forward, uh, who had been deployed in the nineties. He said, "Oh, we called it the Jackal Run." So we were like, "Oh, right." So was it taking them to the Jackal? And he was like, "Well, probably not, you know." But it was it was in the film, wasn't it? But then, literally, we had an undercover officer, um, Paul Gray, who was one of the few we didn't see. And I was like, why can't we see his, we saw the video of them in the viewing room, but him, we didn't see his face. And I was like, oh, why don't we see his face? And then I heard his voice and it all made sense. He was so posh. It's like, oh, he's posh enough that the inquiry have given him even more anonymity than the rest. So, you know, but anyway, so he, he Incredible. said, oh yeah, I was, you know, why did you do this thing? And he said, oh, we'd all seen Day of the Jackal in 1972. And so by like 1973, we were all, <laughs> do, we were doing jackal runs to get our identities. And it was like, what you like, really? <laughs> and he was like, well, yeah. And I mean, like, so there was other officers were like, oh, no, it wouldn't have been that. But he was very, I mean, he, and he was someone who was, though he was a field officer, was very, in, like, uh, friendly and close to the other under, uh, the other managers because he was obvious. And like, he yeah. talked about, like, kind of, when he talked to managers, like, mostly on the squash court. You know, I mean, this was somebody who was, like, you know, very much oh of God. the same social class as his as superiors. Yeah. And he was yeah. adamant. No, it's from, it's from Day of the Jackal. Like, I mean, literally, you know, that's fucking... That, and what they would do is go to Somerset House, where, which is the, the birth records. They'd find someone who died when they were really young, take that identity. Um, interestingly, um, Rick Gibson, uh, who was one of those officers who had numerous uh, sexual relationships, he did that. And he got he tried to infiltrate a group called Big Flame, um, who yep. were like kind of a libertarian socialist uh, group. Really cool. I'm like, they're fucking, they're old fucking zines, man. They're really cool. Like the aesthetic of them, the kind of topics that, you know, one of the more interesting groups in like British uh, left-wing history. But like he tried to infiltrate them yeah. and they'd like, they checked him out and they went and looked for, looked him up and they found his birth certificate. And then they looked up the death certificates and they found his death certificate. And that's like in the seventies, like which I, like when we first learned that a group in the seventies had found that these, one of these officers existed, we were like, well, why didn't they make a fuss? You know, but actually they were fucking terrified is why they were fucking terrified. They put all their information, they, they, they yeah. confronted him with it. Like first they tried to get rid of him without like telling him what they knew, but he just wouldn't fuck off. And he kept saying, Oh, just ring this person. This is my brother. He works here. And they kept yeah, like, no, this is, not yeah. coming, this is not coming up. They showed him the death certificate. Then he was like, no, no, ring, ring this person. Next day, you know, didn't show up, went around his house, cleared out house, never saw it again. And it was like, oh, so you knew this had happened. Why did you continue to keep using dead children's identities? And you know, Paul Gray went, well, we all knew that Rick Gibson had been found out because of all his dalliances. Uh, not because of his, like, if he hadn't have had all those dalliances, they wouldn't have looked him up. Oh so, it was like, oh, so how did you know that? So was it common knowledge within the SDS that these officers were having sex with their targets? And he went, well, that was before I joined the SDS. I knew that. So we had officers saying that the SDS was secret within special branch. And then we've got a special branch officer going like, well, I knew all the gossip about the unit before I even joined. 
<laughs> you know, that, that actually the gossip about that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, one of the undercover officers who spoke was uh, Graham Coates, who infiltrated anarchist groups. And he, I, I mean, he's obviously got like a female family member who's like pulled him up and gone, look, this is fucking unacceptable. Because he actually went, mm-hmm. he was quite honest. I, well, I think he was honest. I, it's hard to Imagine these people being honest about the um, the misogynist attitudes that existed with the SDS at the time. There was a lot of like, "Good on you." Um, I bet he, he made a bite the blanket last night. Like lots of talk about the sexual conquest that various undercover officers had had, um, and like kind of really yeah. like kind of you know sh- shined a light on like kind of which all, all the other others were like, "No, no, not not at all, not at all." But then they they, they ended up telling on themselves like by just any bits of detail, which. I mean, he he also claimed that there was no racism within the within the group, which was um, like ridiculous when you saw the the reports. Because in the reports, you'd get like you know people described by racial slurs, you know, use of the n word, all that kind of stuff, just in, in like descriptive language, you know, not having to go at them, just going, "This was a you know, you know, like that kind of language." Um, and he said, "Oh no, we, we weren't using racist language like in the safe house chatting." But we were in our official reports that were being filed to MI5. So, like, you know. But the, the um, yeah, the, the use of the dead children's identities, like, even though it was blown open early on, they just kept doing it anyway. And like, was that, it was put to them, like, do you not feel that it was, like, bad for the families? You know, a lot of these children had died in really traumatic ways. But I should point out as well, it's not just that they stole the identity as in the name. They, like, went to visit where the person would have, was family were from yeah. they, they staked out the, the parents they like worked out where they would have gone to school and then they kind of constructed the fake life that this child would have had and made that their life which obviously is incre- I mean, like incredibly fucking disturbing for the parents of those children because yeah. it's like of course they've always fucking wondered oh they would have gone to that school or maybe they'd have gone and worked there the local factory may have done that and they these undercover officers had like thought that up and then like told people that's what their life was you know um yeah, which is like, uh, but but they were even now like it was put to them like, well, how, what do you think of it now? Well, uh, like in retrospect, it was like, well, I didn't think of it at all. But now, what do you think of it? Well, well, I'll tell you this: I don't, I don't agree with those families going to the media and making a fuss. It's not right. Oh and my like, god! What you're annoyed with the families for being upset? You fucker! You fucking scumbag! Well, but, that that's that's the thing that really sort of most strikes me on like a sort of second level about these guys. And you mentioned this earlier, sort of their use of like trauma as a weapon. I mean, you sort you you alluded to that earlier uh, when we were talking about like yeah, like when these guys would try to like not only get in these groups but seduce women in these groups, sometimes for political mm-hmm. purposes, sometimes for quote political purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, they use, they would always yeah, yeah. have, I mean, all these guys would have some really traumatic backstory, right? Like, I mean, almost always, mm. and that would get them in. And in this, this, you know, you stealing like a dead children, child's identity. It's sort of another use of this, like really traumatic thing as a weapon, essentially mm. against people who yeah. a lot of the times, I mean, I looked at some of these goddamn reports, these guys were filing. They're talking about fucking going, like they're writing up full reports about meetings where people were printing off flyers. Uh, you know, yeah. and like meetings where yeah, literally, yeah. I mean, anybody here has been to a political meeting where nothing gets done, which is, I would say, the vast majority 99%. of <laughs> political meetings. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine somebody writing up an entire thing about the, the granular detail about exactly what went on there, who mm. chaired it, who said what, all this kind of stuff. I mean, the actual reports, you can read a lot of these. Uh, they're, they're mm. I, I mean, they're almost, it's stupefying how useless they are. And then like we talked about last episode, you realize that actually the point 
is is not what you think it is. It's not because they thought the SWP mm. was going to take over the uh, take over the UK. It's the point was to, uh, to, 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 to basically a means of social control. Well, it's like the yeah, unit exactly. itself is the point. You know what I mean? It's like even yeah. the, the like um, mundane infiltration is what gives cause itself to the unit existing in the first place you know like mm. it, it, it's it's yeah, absolutely it's a total mind fuck i think just you know I, I, this is something we talked about again on the uh, you know in our interviews with uh scholars researching the fbi's use of this these kind of similar tactics mm. in the u.s but it's like there is this idea that it's like you know the cops infiltrating the feds infiltrating at a level in order to stop you know, it must mean that something was so powerful they had to intervene. And it's mm. like, no, no, no. Like, this is just, like, the kind of mundane aspects of, like, the the of the way the police state works itself, you know? Mm. I mean, I would say on that, I mean, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you look at, like, this, the SDS annual reports, which are, like, basically justifying the next round of funding. Yeah, of course. And, like, mm. they'll, they'll say things like, oh, it's been a very quiet year, but, like, the left is just waiting for an issue they can jump on to make a fuss. So, you know, we still need the unit because even though not much right, has happened right, recently, right. like – Soon, dear boy, they'll be up to something. Don't you? Don't you worry. They'll they'll use some some death to like to to stir up anti police sentiment. You know, this was like they're justifying their existence, right? But also, like, well, and this has come across very strongly in the way the inquiry's gone about. The, the, the dangerous thing isn't like what isn't the actions; it's the ideas. Yeah. You know, is that that's what Absolutely. they're really like kind of like, upset about. They're really like kind of concerned about is these ideas that like, you know, women should have full rights and like, you know, that maybe ethnic minorities shouldn't have to worry about being attacked in the street. These sort of like these radical ideas, which totally go against the vested interests of the establishment of the state in the UK, you know? And like, it's these kind of, um, like we've seen a lot of the inquiry, like with the questioning, it's like, well, what, what doesn't your ideology eventually lead to the overthrow of the state? And it's like, well, yeah, but like, nobody's doing that. We're, you know, are actually engaged with, you know, <laughs> selling newspapers, building a movement. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, but one day if you build a big enough movement, you could have overthrown the state. It's like, well, I guess, man, you know, fucking hell. Yeah. And like that kind of thing of like, um, when like I'm always like I'm always really wary of this thing of like kind of oh and they were just messing around and there was nothing there was no point of it it's like there was a point they were holding back social progress they Absolutely. were holding yeah, back yeah, yeah. like progressive attitudes they were like kind of I, I mean I don't know if it would have made any difference for when like apartheid fell but I I'm sure that like Britain's um, involvement and Britain's um, support of like the apartheid regime in South Africa would have ebbed away a lot earlier if the progressive grassroots social movements have been allowed to blossom in the way that like kind of public opinion suggested they would have done, you know? Um, and like, it's that, it's that kind of thing, which was really there, you know, that was, that's what they were about. I think. Well, before we wrap up, what can, what are the next steps in this? We mentioned that it's getting pushed out like a year, two years. There's never going to be an end to this. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> it never ends and it will never end. I mean, like, you know, we've, we've climb, imminent climate change will come and fucking stop us from playing around these silly games. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> as, as it goes, like this, this, this will continue for, for a long time. I mean, part of the thing is every phase of the inquiry is just a massive info dump. I mean, like right. uh, when you're sat in the inquiry, you're getting like this live, Classic kind of, tactic. This live feed with people. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time as we're hearing from somebody, they're publishing like, you know, 10,000 pages of files about it, which mm -hmm. are like those awful scans of 
fucking bad copies of duplicates from the 1970s that is really hard to read. But like, if anybody fancies themselves, if any of your listeners fancy themselves as a bit of an in- researcher or an investigator, I don't know if anybody <laughs> listening to the show might be like that. Yeah. Like, there is so much information on the UPCI website. Like, there is so much, like... The undercover research group, um, which I'm involved with, like we do an immense amount of work sifting through that, finding like stories. But what's really like the, the hardest thing is is taking like what we've just found out and matching it with what's always been in the public domain, things that have like in old like kind yeah. of left wing publications, and like kind of seeing significance. Because right. sometimes the significance only comes into view when you realise the stuff that's not in the reports, the things that was happening at the same time. Absolutely, uh, and like there's. There's so much of that. There's such a huge amount of that that, like, that's going to keep us busy until the next phase of the inquiry, and we won't have finished it by the time you know. So, like, I've started doing this podcast with some of the other people who are affected, and we're just kind of going through like mm-hmm. various strands, like picking them up and like trying to pull through them. But like, you know, we could be doing it forever, and we still won't have finished. Like, there's so much th- that to do that I think like that's the kind of um, that's what's going to keep us busy until the next time the inquiry sits again. You know. Yeah, that's a good little call out to the little gumshoes listening that there is a lot of research to do. And the, and the you know, our unfortunate blue checky journalists listening that, you know, there's mm. a massive story here. And a lot mm. of this can connect to also what we've seen in the U.S. Um, it's funny, Brace and I were talking like before we started recording, like we cannot imagine anyone in Congress, including the like left wing <laughs> members. Um Ever calling for an investigation into like COINTELPRO. <laughs> like it just right. is, it, it's like outside. It's, I wouldn't even, I, I don't even think that people would think to even ask yeah. for that. Mm. You know, like that's how low the yeah. horizon, the like imaginative mm. horizon is um, when it comes to thinking about, you know, the way the police and the feds operate. And with the, the majority of people in Parliament in the UK who've like kind of made a fuss about this have been personally targeted. Um, the fact that Theresa May called for public inquiry still shocks me. I think that's the most shocking Very thing. Interesting, the- yeah. She was always kind of a wild bird, though. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what. Like, I don't know what. I don't know what it is. I mean, I think, literally, I think it was just austerity. She wanted to cut the police. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Confront the police, Which man. Is so Go funny. on, Theresa. Critical support, <laughs> but like you know, for like. <laughs> Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, for like for for good neoliberal reasons, you know, they're just too expensive. But um, like that, yeah, it, it was such a weird thing they did that. But like you know, otherwise, you know, when we were talking like people like Peter Hayne or Jeremy Corbyn or Diane Abbott or any or John McDonnell, they've all been targeted themselves. All, they've all got registry yeah. files. You know, that's why Absolutely. they're bothered. I mean, not you know, I don't disparage them having like obviously good reasons why. But to be honest, if you actually cared about this stuff, of course, there's a file on you. Of course, there is. You know, yeah, one of the things yeah, that's been really irritating yeah, actually is like is that there's this thing of like kind of people go in like, oh, we've, we've known this for years. And it's like, no, we haven't. We've guessed this for years. Now we've got it in black and white. It's like so much of what we're finding out is like, yeah, well, we kind of guessed that was the case, but we didn't have any actual fucking solid gold proof of it, right? We just had like kind of a thought that this was like, you know, what was going on. Uh, and you know, a lot of our uh, prejudices and like kind of theories have been like proved right, but more often than not, they've gone way further, like, that the, the, the infiltration yeah, is yeah, much yeah. deeper. The infiltration is much more, you know, mundane as well. You know, like you say that, like there's so much, so much about like childcare, like, you know, so many spying on yes. so many children, you know, so much like an insane yeah. amount about childcare. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. But I think there's partially it was like kind of they were disgusted there were men were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that point you bring up about the kind of attitude of like, well, we've always known this, whatever, whatever. It's like so important because it is this kind of like, um, it's this hurdle that I think it's like a cynical hurdle that needs to be overcome. Mm. That there is a way of like mm. foreclosing, not just like curiosity, but also like a reckoning of how mm. state power operates and what that means politically. And it's like, we get this all the time about stuff we cover on the podcast from, you know, the sixties or the seventies, people be like, Oh, who cares? Yeah. We know that. Yeah. yeah. Who, who, yeah. Who knew? Yeah. It's like, but you didn't and you don't, and we actually mm. still don't. I mean, that's the whole point is that, mm. you know, like you say, this inquiry is completely and totally, um, you know, manipulate, it, it, you know, what we call like a limited hangout, right? This is how the, these things operate. Mm. You get a little bit of information, just enough, or you get like 10,000 pages so much that you can't go through it. You know, all of these kind of roadblocks they put up and mm. they do that in, as a way of controlling what's out there and continuing these programs. So like, we actually mm. don't know, I, I don't know, we don't know a majority of, of the scope of these things, um, and it, and it is important to to come to terms with least of I mean the you know <laughs> least of which is just for justice for the victims right let alone the right, political sure, reasons yeah, yeah. yeah I mean I would say like I don't think like many, I mean like as much as um, one of the most important parts of like kind of bringing all this stuff was like kind of re- uh, grabbing the narrative yeah trying to control some of the narrative of people whose like lives have been controlled and like a lot of people have really been like that we don't want to be considered victims man and like i mean yeah. and that's always been my politics i'm not a victim i'm a combatant like you know what i mean like yeah. Yeah, i was targeted yeah. but like i'm trying to target them back right and that's like i think it's important to like kind of be on the front foot with that shit you know it's like no 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 right on yeah one of, the, one of the things that's really annoyed me, another thing that's really annoyed me, um, <laughs> now I've started thinking about things that annoy me about this process, is that like so many of the cops have had so much anonymity, right? They've had so much like, you know, you, you can't see their faces, you don't know their names, we're referring to them by cipher, no real names have been given out, even some cover names have been kept secret. Some officers don't even have a cipher, they're so secret that all we've got is a gist about them, which um, purposefully like mixes together their evidence with the evidence of others. Now, interestingly, one of those is one, the only officer who was there when Blair, Blair, Blair Peach died, though he claims he left before that incident happened. I mean, just if people aren't familiar with the death of Blair Peach, Blair Peach was beaten to death by six members of the special dem- a special patrol group um, who were using homemade weapons. Uh, and when they when uh, the, their houses were searched, they found they had Nazi memorabilia on display in their homes. Right, so like. Pretty fucking serious fuckers. Like it took it took th- um, thirty years for the CAS report, which like looked into what happened, to be released to the family. That named essentially the officers who would have been the ones guilty of it, and particularly a guy called Alan Murray, Inspector Alan Murray, who had been the first out of the van, who was using a homemade kosh, which kind of fits with the blow to the head, which killed Blair Peach, murdered Blair Peach. What, what's a kosh? So a kosh is like a, a, a like a club, like a homemade club, but like a, okay, yeah, um, yeah, 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 like a, a improvised club, um, which he was using instead of a truncheon because it was more and like some of the stuff they had looked fucking medieval that they were going around smashing, giving people's heads in with. Surprised nobody died, didn't die earlier. To be perfectly frank, but like that guy's alive and well. He's a doctor. He works. At, he I mean he was at um, University of Sheffield. Like nothing's happened to him, right? Like, we know he beat someone to death on a demonstration, right? Like, one of the most cause celeb like, issues on the left, the death of Blair Peach, there's been songs about it, there's been films, there's been everything about it, right? Like, we know who he is, we know his name. Like, he appears on fucking the news sometimes, talking about unrelated issues. Like, he's a, nobody's gone around and fucking stoved his face in, have they? You know what I mean? Like, 
the, the idea that these undercover cops who infiltrated these other groups would are somehow in danger because if they, they were named now is just fucking laughable. Yet they've got so much secrecy, secrecy which is not afforded to like normal cops who infiltrate like you know proper crime, like you know people like Neil Woods or um, you know people like that who've like been undercover in like kind of you know drug gangs and stuff, and then they they, they write books and go on bloody TV. They put away thousands of people in prison. Like if anybody was going to shoot somebody for yeah. fucking. Like Neil Woods would be dead, but he's not. You can hear him on like a hundred podcasts every week. You know, I mean, kind of interesting guy, really, for a cop. But like, you know, it, there's this this thing of like, kind of, they need so much secrecy because they're in so much danger, which is just such bullshit, man. It's such bullshit. And like, and it seems like the you know when you've got people like who you're not, they're not even knowing their cipher. They haven't got a cipher for them. You can't even talk about them. It's like really hard to talk about people you yeah. haven't even got a cipher. So like, yeah, totally. It's just so. You know, like it's it's like it really is grasping at fucking steam, you know, uh, and like so you kind of get the impression that you've got some sacrificial lambs going out there, uh, but like the you know the people yeah. who did like the worst things, the people who've got the most secrets, and like any time like um, Blair Peach was brought up, like literally every cop would some of them have been like quite open about certain things, and then Blair Peach comes up and it's just like. They've they've made a vow of silence on that shit. All of them made a vow of silence on that oh, shit. Yeah. Was it discussed? No, never discussed. Never discussed. Nothing. Nothing ever about Blair Peach ever. Not once. Not never. Not none. Like, do you ever talk about it now when reunions? No, no one's ever mentioned it. We've never mentioned it ever. It's like, yeah, fucking. Yeah, you want to see bastards. great examples of solidarity? Check out the cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, man. Fucking hell. Like, if we had that man, we'd never lose a fucking strike. You know what I mean? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, it has been, um, again, despite the subject matter, an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, Always, and I'm yeah. thrilled that uh, Tom now has – well, I feel it's fucked up that you have a podcast because doing a podcast is a, a low, rotten, dirty thing for a human being to do. <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but for my own personal reasons, I'm glad you had one. And to remind our fucking listeners, it is called Spy Cops Info Podcast. You can find that like on iTunes and everything like that. I've been listening to that. Yeah, we'll link to it. Everywhere, we'll man. Uh, and also check them out yeah, nice uh, at Tom B. Fowler on Twitter. Um, and yeah, Tom, a pleasure. We have, uh, he is, I want to make this clear. Tom agreed to come on the show despite the fact that pubs are reopening tonight. Yeah, well, they, they reopened like, um, on the weekend indoors, but all my mates are going to the pub tonight. Um, mm. And like, they've been there for the last like three hours. But, you know, I did this oh, anyway. Shit. because so like, this, is, I, this is true well, dedication. You know, uh, is uh, are indoor pub, uh, are bars open indoors in LA now? Are you like, are you, can you go indoors at the pub? <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, but some, a lot of places. Yeah, isn't that still, like, yeah, yeah. A lot of places still like, they won't let yeah. it. It's all different. Like all the cities are all different here. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, so it's uh, th th there's a lot of places you can go here where it's kind of shit. You've got to sit in a booth, like, away from you don't actually see people. But like, mm, there's yeah. some places, you know, like if you if you know I the right places, man, you know, a picture of Farage yeah. out there. Oh, fucking, <laughs> fucking hell, man! How the fuck, man? Like King Grifter, eh? what a fucking what a, what a Grifter <sighs> god! You know I mean? and he's on cameo. Yeah, yeah. You can, of course you can, he is. You could pay him like whatever two hundred bucks to like say, uh, you know, like oh my Susie, god, oh, I love you or something like that. Like he he yeah. will do like a personal message for you. And loads of people will do that. They'll be ironically doing it. Yeah? yeah, it's not like kind of they. I know it's like a funny idea until you realize you're literally giving him exactly money. Exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's yeah. Don't do that, kids. Say no to fucking Farage cameos. Take one thing away from this episode. Don't get a cameo on fucking Nigel Farage. Yeah, yeah. No you Kip cameos, please. For real. Well, I feel better about the cops. Me too. You know what? They're just regular guys like you and me who leave their wives for five years, insinuate themselves into the lives of people who are trying to like uh, campaign against apartheid, have sex with them, lie to them, get them kicked out of their groups, and then uh, uh, presumably there's some sort of payoff personally for these people in the end. I'm not sure. Yeah, we're like that, except we don't do any of that. We just have podcasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I am paid by the UK government, but that's to spread goodwill abroad. <laughs> I'm a goodwill ambassador. You're one of them. the five guys. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, with that being said, my name, you know what? You know what? A lot of, lot of, lot of to- tossers in this fucking um, dun- dungeon. Oh, my God. Uh, well, me name, me name, Bryce. <laughs> I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein.